Hey everybody, this is Pastor Dan with a quick message before we get started. We're all dealing with the coronavirus outbreak right now, as I'm sure you are too. Um, here at Brockport First Baptist, we've had to suspend all in-person events until further notice, which includes our Sunday morning worship services. And I'm sure that public events and public places around you have probably been impacted in similar ways. We are going to get through this, but uh, please pray for us and know that you are in our prayers as well. Uh, I also want to let you know, though, that uh, until we resume in-person worship services, we will be conducting our Sunday morning worship virtually online. So you can actually navigate over to our website, brockportfirstbaptist.org, where you'll be able to see uh, a full video of the service that this week's sermon comes from. Hope you enjoy it. I hope to see you over there. Thanks, as always, for liking, sharing, and supporting our work. Uh, if you want to give to support our ministries, you can also do that on our website, brockportfirstbaptist.org. Thank you so much. Grace, peace, and God bless. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Good morning. Today's scripture lesson comes from Paul's first letter to the church he established at Corinth. At that time, they were struggling with their faith, and this particular issue deals with the resurrection of Christ. The uh, chapter I'm going to read is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8 and 12 through 22. And now I want to remind you, my brothers, of the good news which I preached to you, which you received and on which your faith stands firm. That is the gospel, the message that I preached to you. You are saved by the gospel if you hold firmly to it, unless it was for nothing that you believed. I passed on to you which I received, which is of the greatest importance, that Christ died for our sins, as written in the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised to life three days later, as written in the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, and then to all twelve apostles, then he appeared to more than five hundred of his followers at once, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. Then he appeared to James, and afterward to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared also to me, even though I am like someone whose birth was abnormal. Now, since our message is that Christ has been raised from death, how can some of you say that the dead will not be raised to life? If that is true, it means that Christ was not raised. And if Christ has not been raised from death, then we have nothing to preach and you have nothing to believe. More than that, we are shown to be lying about God because we said that he raised Christ from death. But if it is true that the dead are not raised to life, then he did not raise Christ. For if the dead are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is a delusion and you are still lost in your sins. It would also mean that the believers in Christ who have died are lost. If our hope in Christ is good for this life only, and no more, then we deserve more pity than anyone else in the world. But the truth is that Christ has been raised from death as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. For just as death came by means of a man, in the same way the rising from death comes by means of a man. For just as all people die because of their union with Adam, in the same way, 
all will be raised to life because of their union with Christ. Amen. Thank you for that scripture reading, Jim. Uh, so we are going to continue here in this format with the sermon series that we started, man, four weeks ago now. If you, if you can remember back to that time of uh, relative normalcy, when you could actually high-five people, and uh, we didn't have to sing happy birthday every single time we wash our hands. Can you remember back that far? Hopefully you can. Um, anyway, this, this series that we're in is called Metaphors of the Cross. It's our Lenten teaching series, where every Sunday we're looking at a different metaphor, a different way that Christians in centuries past have viewed and understood the cross. How is it that the death of Jesus saves us from the forces of sin and death? That's the question undergirding this series. In previous weeks, we talked about Jesus as a ransom. Uh, we talked about Jesus as the victor, this metaphor that envisions the cross as a coronation ceremony where Jesus is declared victorious over the destructive powers that have enslaved humanity. And our metaphor for today is Jesus, the new humanity. Now, this is a pretty cool one. I'll, I'll show my hands here. This is one of my favorite ancient metaphors of the cross. Uh, growing up as a good Baptist kid, I had never heard the cross talked about in quite this way. And uh, throughout my adulthood, as both a pastor and a theology professor, I found that most Protestants aren't really that familiar with this way of looking at the cross. But I know that for me, uh, this metaphor was a game changer. This was something that made a lot of other pieces kind of fit together for me and, and really changed just about everything. Um, I've probably built this up way too much now, so um, apologies in advance for the inevitable letdown when this metaphor doesn't quite do the same thing for you. All right, good. Uh, Jesus as the new humanity uh, is another very ancient way of looking at the cross. Like the other metaphors we've looked at in this series, this one has roots in the early church. Um, throughout much of church history, this was actually the dominant understanding of the cross for many Christians. Uh, even in Orthodox churches today, and I'm talking Orthodox with a capital O, so like your Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Coptic, or Coptic Orthodox, stuff like that. These, these churches that still practice a very ancient form of our faith, this remains one of the dominant ways they talk about the cross. Now, <clears throat> the fancy theological term for this metaphor is recapitulation. There's a 10-cent word for you, recapitulation. Try saying that 10 times fast. Go ahead, go ahead, I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Actually, you know what? We're not going to wait for that. You can just pause the video if you want to try it. Recapitulation. Um, recapitulation, or Jesus as the new humanity, as I like to put it, you know, uh, in English, is the idea that Jesus saves us by taking our broken humanity and uniting it with himself. If you look at the first part of the world, uh, sorry, the first part of the word recapitulation, you're going to notice that it begins with a much more familiar word. Anyone see it? Recap, right? Recapitulation. That's actually a really helpful way to think about this idea. Jesus offers a recap of our humanity. He takes our broken human existence and he sums it up in himself through his life, death, and resurrection. He repairs the entirety of human existence and unites it with God. 
I know that's still a little abstract, but stick with me because as we look at this idea as it develops in the Bible, I think that's going to help us flesh things out a bit. Now, our scripture reading for today is from 1 Corinthians, and it's this passage where Paul is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the importance of Jesus' resurrection for our faith. And Paul's actually talking to Christians who are struggling in their faith, as I think we all do from time to time. Uh, these Christians in Corinth were struggling to believe and to live into the good news of the resurrection. And so Paul tells them about Jesus being raised from the dead. He encourages them to actually go and to talk to the more than 500 people who saw Jesus after the resurrection. People who are still living at the time Paul wrote this letter. And then Paul goes into this long discourse about the importance of Jesus' resurrection. He does that thing that Paul does sometimes in his letters, where he'll like say the same point like three or four times in different ways. Gets kind of confusing to follow. We actually cut some of that out in our scripture reading to, to make it a little bit smoother, because it gets confusing. But Paul is basically saying <clears throat> that Jesus had to be raised from the dead, because if he wasn't raised from the dead, then there's no resurrection at all. And then our hope that we will all one day be raised from the dead is in vain. But then it's at the end of our passage, starting in verse 20, where Paul lands on the crucial point. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. Paul is saying that Jesus is the new Adam. The first Adam brought sin and death into the world, but Jesus is a new Adam who brings resurrection and life. Now, we've talked about the Adam story here in church before, Genesis chapters 2 and 3, uh, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, Talking Snake, all of that. And if you can remember, what, a year and a half ago now when we actually preached through the opening part of Genesis, Adam's name literally means humanity. Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity. So the Bible begins with this story <clears throat> about a man named humanity who lives in perfect harmony with God. And in the very first story we get in the Bible explains how the relationship between God and humanity goes awry when sin enters the mix. Adam is a stand-in for humanity. His story is our story. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is reading Adam as an archetype. For as all die in Adam, right? Now, we didn't actually all literally die in Adam, did we? Like, we weren't there with Adam in the garden. No, what Paul is saying is that Adam set the pattern. Adam's story ripples through history and becomes our story. The path that humanity took in the Garden of Eden is the path that every single human being has taken to this day. It's a path that leads us away from God. A path towards sin and selfishness and eventually death. Adam is the archetype. Adam is the pattern that humanity has been following ever since. But Jesus sets a new pattern. Jesus establishes a new humanity. He offers all of us a new way to be human by living a life in union with God. Now we find this metaphor of Jesus as the new Adam, uh, Jesus as the new humanity, sprinkled all over the New Testament. 
In Romans 5, Paul makes the same connection between Jesus and Adam, um, arguing that just like death entered the world through one man's sin, so also resurrection has entered through one man's obedience, that man, of course, being Jesus. And then in the Gospel of Luke, the author traces Jesus' genealogy backwards, starting with Jesus and then listing his father, his grandfather, generation after generation, all the way back to Adam. Because throughout Luke's gospel, as Jesus is going around, you know, healing and talking to people and telling parables, the big takeaway is that Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is establishing a new humanity. He's teaching his disciples a new way to be human. And then the gospel of John just hits it out of the park in this regard. In John's account of the resurrection, we find Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' disciples, in a garden outside of the empty tomb where she encounters the risen Christ, and she mistakes him for the gardener. Now, of course, gardening was Adam's job back in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, all the way back in Genesis. So in the climax of John's gospel, we find Jesus and Mary, a man and a woman, together with God in a garden. Get it? Yeah, uh, new humanity, new creation. John is bringing the story full circle. It's actually pretty on the nose. Um, we miss it because, well, a lot of us don't know our Bibles all that well. But, but for the original audience, for the Christians who were steeped in this stuff and who, who knew their scriptures quite well, the connection would have been obvious. Jesus is the new Adam. He's the new humanity. So here's where the cross fits into all this. Here's how um, this idea, this metaphor, expands our view of salvation and the mechanics of what exactly takes place on the cross. When people share the gospel, typically, <clears throat> when we talk about the good news of salvation in Christ, we usually begin by talking about how there's this gulf between human beings and God. Sin has separated us from God, all right? It's so far, so good. But then we usually get really abstract when we talk about how the cross fixes that, how the cross bridges that gap. Uh, sometimes you'll even see these pictures uh, where like humanity is on a cliff on one side of a canyon and then God is on the other side with this big gulf in the middle labeled sin. And then the cross is like this bridge that overcomes that divide, which is a nice visual and all, um, but doesn't really explain how the cross actually accomplishes that. But the metaphor of Jesus as the new humanity does. Humanity is broken. Sin and death have infected every single aspect of our existence. If you doubt that, just look at the empty shelves at the grocery store right now and all the hoarding that's taking place. We like to think of human beings as basically good. I know I do. But man, when push comes to shove, especially in times of crisis, our default position is one of selfishness and greed. And that pattern stretches all the way back to the garden. That's the brokenness of humanity. That's, that's sin in a nutshell. That's what creates this gulf, this separation between us and God. But what Jesus does is he enters into human existence and he literally bridges that divide. In Christ, God takes on flesh and moves into the neighborhood. God becomes a human being and experiences every single element of our existence, the highs and the lows, the joy and the pain. God subjects God's self to our limitations, our brokenness, 
God takes that all on to God's self, even to the point of death. And then when Jesus dies, he takes all of that humanity, all of that brokenness, he takes it with him down into the grave, and it dies with him. But then, on Easter Sunday, when Jesus rises from the dead, he brings all that humanness back up with him from the grave and into the new life of the resurrection. Every single element of our existence, all that stuff that was previously stuck following the pattern of Adam, it now adheres to the pattern of Christ. All that humanness that once separated us from God has now been united with God because of what Jesus did. Jesus is the cosmic do-over, if you will. He succeeds for humanity where Adam failed. He offers us a new way to be human, the way of resurrection. That's why the resurrection is so important. That's why Paul emphasizes the resurrection of Jesus to the Corinthian Christians in our scripture reading, because that's the key. When Jesus came back from the dead, he brought all of our humanness with him. If he wasn't raised, or if there's any element of our human existence that didn't come back from the dead with Jesus, then the job wouldn't be complete. There's this quote that's attributed to uh, Gregory of Nazianzus. He's one of the early leaders of the church. He died in the year 390 AD. What Christ has not assumed has not been healed, but all that is united with God is saved. If there's any element of our lives, any element of our existence that we think is out of bounds for some reason, anything, anything that we don't want to render over to God for any reason, anything we're ashamed of that we think God wouldn't want to know about. When we do stuff like that, we're limiting the salvation power of God. We're assuming wrongly that God can't redeem every part of us. But the good news is that Jesus has assumed all of it. Jesus took it all onto himself. There's not a single element of our lives that can't be handed over to God and made whole. Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. But in Paul's second letter to that church, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul takes this vision of Jesus as the new humanity and he expands it. He applies it to our mission as a church. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What Jesus accomplished on the cross isn't just about the salvation of individual souls, although that's important too. But this new humanity Jesus established is also about our mission as the church. We are part of the new creation. You are a new creation in Christ. When you make that decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and enter into the path of discipleship, you inherit Christ's mission of reconciling the world to its creator. One of the things I love about this, this view of the cross is it expands um, 
the, the lens so that all of Jesus' life can be seen as salvific. Everything from his incarnation in the flesh with his birth, through his life, his childhood, his adulthood, Jesus' relationships, his ministries, all the healings and conversations, the experiences of joy and pain, that's all one giant act of salvation. And throughout his life, Jesus went around fixing what was broken. He forgave sins. He restored outsiders to community, calmed storms, cast out demons, healed the sick. He challenged oppressive religious and political systems. That was Jesus' whole life. He takes all that with him to the cross. He takes all of that with him down into the grave, and then he redeems it all through the resurrection. So what is our mission as a church? What's our mission as disciples of Jesus? What's the connection between our salvation, our growth as disciples, and our work as a community of Christ followers here in Brockport? It's about being part of a new humanity, following Jesus out into the world. Salvation begins with repentance, <clears throat> but that's only the beginning. The entire life of a disciple of Jesus is one giant act of repentance, where we dig down deep, discovering new elements of ourselves that need to be handed over to God, taking all that is broken in our hearts and our lives, giving it to Christ so that we can be made whole. But it doesn't stop there. From there, we go out and we actually embody this new humanity in the midst of a world that needs the good news. Now, depending on the situation, that might look like telling someone about Jesus or inviting them to church. <clears throat> it might look like being present with someone in the midst of suffering. It could be a uh, being an agent of reconciliation in the midst of brokenness, challenging unjust political systems and religious hierarchies. It could be feeding the hungry, healing the sick, maybe even casting out a demon or two. This is a difficult time we're in right now. A lot of people are scared. A lot of people are, are panicking. A lot of people feel isolated and alone. But as the church crisis like this is our opportunity to do what we've been called to do. It's an opportunity to put our salvation into practice and to embody the new humanity Christ modeled for us. So please check in on your neighbors. Call elderly folks and others you know who are at high risk. See what they need. Offer to deliver groceries or to give people rides to the doctor. Stay informed. Follow the advice uh, from experts about social distancing, especially if you've been exposed. And when you do venture out to get groceries or run errands, be a beacon of light. Be loving, be polite, be Christ-like. Go out into that broken world of ours, that world that is stuck following the pattern of Adam, and start practicing the pattern of Christ. Because that's what this is all about. That's recapitulation, Jesus as the new humanity. Let's pray. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for entering into our broken world to make it whole again. Thank you for not abandoning us to the way of Adam, the way that leads to destruction and death, but for offering us a new path. Thank you for sending your son to take on flesh and become the new Adam. And thank you, Lord, for uniting our humanity with yourself and giving us a way home. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.